This episode of the Device Talks Weekly Podcast is brought to you by Device Talks Tuesdays, our weekly speaker series. Join us this Tuesday at 4 p.m. for a great discussion brought to you by Paul Corp. For more information, go to devicetalks.com, register on devicetalks.com, and watch at your convenience. The presentation is available live at 4 p.m. and available to you on demand. All right, you ready for this? Ready. So let me welcome back to the Device Talks, a weekly podcast. We're going to get you right into this week's episode. We're talking all about surgical robotics. First, we're going to hear from Per Vergard Nurseth. He is the CEO of CMR Surgical. CMR has commercialized a surgical robotic system. We'll learn about it a little bit later. They also recently raised $600 million for a Series D round. So Per comes to uh, CMR from the robotics industry. He's not a med tech guy. This is his first job in med tech. So he brings a, a very interesting perspective. Later on, we'll hear from Adam Sachs. Adam is the CEO and co-founder of Vicarious Surgical. We spoke with Adam last year and uh, a lot has happened since then. They went public, Vicarious went public through a SPAC, leaving, uh, according to Adam, once the, the deal is done, Vicarious will have over $400 million to put to work and they're, and they're doing that. They're bringing in uh, senior talent. They've moved into a cool new headquarters and they have lots going on. So uh, we'll reconnect with Adam Sachs later in the podcast. Now, it's my pleasure to bring in my podcast partner, Chris Newmarker, the executive editor of Life Sciences at Mass Device. Chris Newmarker, how are you, sir? How are you doing, sir? Doing good here today. Happy Friday to you. I get to say Happy it this Friday. time. You beat me to it. Happy I Friday. I know. I stole here your line. Hey, Chris, I was thinking before we got on, do you need like walk-up music like Major League Baseball players need when they come up bat? Should I, should I find you some walk-up music, you know, something a little, I don't know, Doobie Brothers, you think, or something a little more current? Uh, hey, we could go to my Ohio State roots. You could do a little hang on Sloopy. <laughs> hang on Sloopy, Sloopy, hang on. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be good to get sued by another artist for uh, for, for stealing yeah. music. Oh. Yes, I'm sure the Ohio State Athletic Department would have no problem with that at all. Now, were you? Did you play? You, you did you play in the band? I was not in the. I was not in okay. the band. Okay. Um, I was not in the the best damn band. Yeah, <laughs> that's in true. The that is a pretty the, fantastic band. Yeah. The, the best damn band yeah. in the all land. Right. Like I did, I did. You know, when I was uh, I was editor in chief of uh, the student paper, the land. Oh, all right. And and actually, the fun story was uh, the the news editor for quarter who became editor in chief right after me. Um, a good good friend of mine. He was in the band. He was both a newspaper editor and in the band. And uh, that that was wow. uh, yeah there. They were there were some times where uh, like like uh, he he looked very tired looked very it was definitely a lot of uh, a lot of work he was did he, doing did he squash some some uh, negative band coverage uh, you know it seems like a conflict of interest to have you know band come on <laughs> band is awesome uh, this is this was this is in the nineties I'm sure there was a lot of party going on what's the nineties yeah. I don't want to not at all never yeah there was no, um, no. partying at in the 90s no way man what uh, at least it wasn't the 80s i'm sure the band in the 80s they were that was the place to be but anyway we digress oh the 80s ohio state i all right gotta, gotta love the 80s Chris, new marker we have come a long way yes we have yes now Here we are 2020 2021 actually that's, that's oh yes, okay yes yeah. All right. It's a Friday. We're recording this on a Friday. We'll see how we do here. <laughs> if we ever finish the story, maybe 2022. 2020 is over. Thank goodness. Yes. Thank goodness. But yes. it, it is a Friday, and that <laughs> means it's time for New Markers and Newsmakers. Chris, what's number five on the New Markers Newsmakers list? All right. Number five on the list, we've got uh, Imperative Care uh, raising uh, a whopping $260 million for wow. their uh, stroke care tech. And uh, on top of that, they uh, they went and uh, acquired uh, Truvig Medical. 
uh, which develops has technologies for treating a peripheral uh, vascular disease. So they got the money. They went buying um, a lot of uh, a lot of stuff going on over at, uh, at Imperative uh, Care, which has like a whole portfolio of uh, stroke care technologies. That's a lot of that's a lot of tomatoes. Two hundred sixty million bucks for Series yeah. D, and we've got some uh, great investors in there: HealthCore, Ally Bridge, Bain, yep. Ascension Ventures. Don't want to leave anyone else out, but uh, certainly some some big names. So we're seeing a lot of yeah. big funds, and actually, we'll talk about that today. Yeah, uh, a lot of big financings, I should say. We'll talk about that today with our uh, our two CEO conversations. We talked with uh, with Vicarious Surgical. They raised uh, about half a million dollars to their SPAC. And uh, talked with CMR Surgical, and there is six hundred million for uh, for their uh, private financing. So a lot of wow. money going into medtech. A lot of money. How going much? Into how much was Vicarious again? Their SPAC was, I think, over a billion, but I think they ended up walking away. And and I'll have to. We'll we'll hear Adam Sachs uh, in the conversation. I think they have about five hundred million That's to spend. Great. Yes. I thought you'd said half a million. So oh no, I half a billion. Half a billion. Half a billion. Yes. Sorry, I've got my <laughs> finger up to my my pinky finger yeah. up to my mouth. Half a billion dollars. <laughs> billion dollars. Yes. yes. <laughs> just a little, just a small amount of cash there. Just a little bit, a little bit of money there to help them out. It's going to so. be interesting to see the. Uh, See the uh, the money tree report or, or or Silicon Valley Bank's report at the end of the year. I don't know. Yeah. It just seems like massive financings. Maybe there's fewer of them. Maybe it's the same amount of dollars. But uh, it's going to be fun to watch. Well, especially with the um, you know we'll get this a little more with that that wave of special purpose acquisition corp deals. I mean, it just it definitely right. feels like coming out of. 2020 um people are people are spending money you know they uh they, i guess they don't they don't call it a boom economy for nothing yeah right? right and that's and those wouldn't show up in uh in the svp reports or anything like that that's obviously public monies but uh yeah from wherever it's coming yeah, we'll there's see. a lot of money going into medtech and uh it's been uh been interesting to see these these companies that have been around for a while uh finally getting the the money they need to uh, to move forward so yeah, exactly. Yeah, hopefully get some innovation. And so, so talking about innovation, I mean, moving on to number four on the list, we have you know Transmedics um, that you know has their OCS liver system, which they're they're touting as a system that could just like greatly improve the transportation of uh, livers, you know, for uh, for transplant procedures. And uh, they got a uh, they got a, a positive FDA uh, advisory panel uh, committee vote. Uh, you know, I saw there were there were media reports that, you know, it, it going into it, it was a bit contentious, like FDA, like staff had raised a few things hmm. about, you know, about the application. But, you know, the advisory committee was like, you know, you know, it's it's hard to run studies off of, you know, livers that you want to transplant, um, you know, the, the benefits, there's just so many benefits you could have off of the system if you could, you know, really better transport livers. And the advisory committee said, let's move out, let's move forward with this. Let's, let's get this, let this, let's get this approved. So we'll, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see what FDA does with this advisory committee vote. But I mean, it, it definitely looks like a big, big win for Transmedics. Um, a lot was riding on it. Um, NASDAQ even halted their uh, trading during the, uh, you know, of their stock during the uh, the advisory committee meetings. So that's that's interesting. The dynamic between the staff and the advisory committee. It's completely opposite of the uh, the Biogen affair with their Alzheimer's drug. Yeah. yeah, yeah. In that case, that was the advisory committee saying, "Like, I don't know about this," and you know, the FBA staff saying, "Let's go for it." The advisory this. committee was saying, "No, no way, don't do this," <laughs> and the FDA right. said, "Well, let's do yeah. it anyway." And we mentioned this. We, you and I, were slacking back and forth about Transmedic. It was one of those companies that uh, that I think again, I remember covering when I first started. It was founded in 1998. Uh, Neuropace, of course, was founded in '97. They went public uh, a month or so ago. So, it's it, speaking of the '90s, baby, everything comes back in fashion. First Neuropace, now Transmedics is getting their FDA approval. So, uh, it's uh, I guess I guess uh, patience pays off for uh, yeah. for medtech folks. '90s are back. I'm gonna get a new pair of rollerblades. There you go. <laughs> gonna do it. <laughs> well, Per Vargard Nurseth, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Mr. Thomas. Pleasure being here. So I'm excited to talk about you because uh, your company, CMR, well, it's doing interesting things. I don't want to make it all about the money, but you also raised uh, an enormous amount of financing that uh, certainly caught my attention. Uh, we've seen a lot of those big plays in sort of more industrial robotics, uh, but now we're starting to see some larger money move into surgical robotics. So I want to understand what that means. But uh, I'd like to find a little bit about you. Normally, I ask 
someone, how they got into the med tech industry, knowing that they got into the med tech industry decades before. Uh, but this is actually your first move into the med tech industry. You're actually, you've got a, a long history in robotics, correct? Yeah, that's, the, that's right. And uh, I actually, I'm coming from a large company called ABB, where I, for the last 10 years, did run their global robotics business, which is actually quite a decent sized business. We, uh, we sold thousands and thousands of robots per year. We had operations in uh, more than 50 countries and we're uh, almost around a $3 billion business. So, and in that, uh, in that area, we obviously then were focusing on um, the industrial side. So helping the automotive industry, we're helping the electronic industry, we were helping the, the food and beverage industry, just to mention a few of them. And uh, obviously, and also the differences between an industrial robot versus a surgical robot where I am today is that a industrial robot is an automated device where actually it does what the program has, or what it has been programmed to do, while obviously a surgical robot is more of a master-slave type of business. Mm-hmm. But I'm very interested now and, and of course enjoying a lot being in the medical area and the surgical robotic side of it. So... Tell me, how is the surgical robotics space viewed by the rest of the robotics world? I imagine it's a sort of a nascent and upcoming area within, whereas industrial robots, warehousing robots, there's a lot more experience uh, in those fields. Yeah, I think uh, there is obviously the, the industrial robotic area has been sort of running for much longer. So my previous company, we had been uh, active in this field for more than 40 years. And myself have been working in it for about uh, 15, 16 years in that, uh, that piece of the business. And I think in general also, there is significantly higher volumes. So when I'm looking at the, the total market in the surgical robotic area, that's sort of uh, what we did in one or two weeks in my previous company. So significantly higher volumes. Mm-hmm. But I think obviously the, the, the accuracy, the preciseness, and I think the other part and the, uh, the master slave type of, of uh, uh, control of the system is a difference. So, but it is definitely a very, very interesting area. And I remember we also were looking at that market uh, at my time at ABB. But the thing is that it's so different type of go-to-market strategy. You need the whole clinical, the whole regulatory piece, which of course for a non-medtech company is a, it's a big thing to, to establish and, and enter into. So help me understand that the, the term you use, master's slave, um, it, 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 I'm guessing or assuming that it means that I move my right hand, the robot moves its right hand. Is that, the, the, is that the, the, how it works? I would say almost. Is the, I mean, uh, the human as a human, we only had two two hands, while Fair a point. typical yeah. robotic system have four arms, so you can sort of switch between them. But but fundamentally, what you say is correct. You, as a surgeon, are moving your hand controllers, yeah. and the robot mimic uh, the uh, the the movements and do the then same inside of the patient. Yeah, to, to articulate it better, we're, we're initiating the movements of the robot, whereas a, a different type of robot might work autonomously and, and, and do things without that kind of direction. That's correct. Uh, a typical industrial robot are, are programmed to do the same thing all over the time. So, so they can go 24-7, seven days a week and just doing exactly the same motion all the time. Gotcha. So how did the opportunity to join CMR Surgical come to you? And I'd like to understand just... What was your thought process? Had you considered surgical robots sort of just a, another uh, specialty within robotics or was it sort of a completely different business that you were unsure as to whether you want to wade into? I think it's um, ABB at the time when I was running uh, the robotics share, we actually looked at uh, CMR uh, surgical as an investment and we did in fact go in and made a, a, an investment into CMR Surgical. And at that oh, okay. time, I was involved in it. I was part of the team that looked at it and uh, did the analysis. And uh, by that, I was also following the company for quite some years. And after having been running the, 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 the business at ABB for so many years, I was somehow looking at what could be the next thing to do. 
And in that context, I, uh, I, I started to go into discussions with CMI Surgical and really found it interesting because there is a very, very high tech area, but at the same time, then in a new market. And that was sort of triggering point for me uh, to see how we could also take some of the learnings from the industrial side mm-hmm. and how to move that into the medical space. Interesting. Okay. So you, you've had a great deep understanding of, of the company uh, prior to even thinking about the position. Absolutely. And that was obviously a great benefit for me as I had been following the company for a few years before I joined. Excellent. Excellent. So this is, this is the time where I think it's a great idea to bring our, reader, our listeners rather uh, up to date on what CMR does. What is the significance of your approach? Tell us about your robotic system. I think it's uh, we have a system which is different to what has been in the market in the past. We are having a modular uh, system and architecture where you have each arm being able to be moved independently, which in our opinion gives the opportunity to have more flexibility when it comes to doing surgeries. And we have given ourselves the mission to really... Um, bring minimal access surgery or keyhole surgery to as many people around the world as possible. And that technology and that design concept that we have really enables them to use across multi-speciality mm-hmm. and in multi-type of surgeries. So what is the significance of being able to provide that, uh, that keyhole approach, the minimally invasive approach? No, the, I think the significance is obviously that there are today still so many people around the world who don't get access to keyhole surgery. There are still far too many people who are only getting access to open surgery. And obviously, there are clear benefits of performing keyhole surgery for the patient, for the hospitals, for the economy, I would say, even for the company, not for the country, sorry, because uh, you have less, less time spent in hospital, you have less wound infections, so many, many benefits. But the thing is that actually performing manual keyhole or manual lap, as it's called, obviously is a very difficult task to do. And this is really where surgical robots really come in and making it much, much easier for the surgeon. So that's really enabling us to help giving uh, keyhole surgery to more patients all over the world. So the Sorry. So the opportunity isn't to convert people who are currently doing keyhole surgery to use your system for keyhole surgery, but rather get people who are performing things through open surgery to do it through keyhole surgery. That's clearly the mission we have set out to do, yes. Excellent. So what is the uh, the origin of uh, CMR's technology? And tell us a, a little bit about the company. How long has it been around? Uh, and again, where does the technology come from? CMR Surgical was founded back in 2014 by uh, five founders who had the mission to really bring keyhole surgery to millions of people around the world. And in just six years, they were able to basically go from a wooden prototype to actually give more than 1,000 patients access to keyhole surgery. And I think this has been so um, such a strength of the company, have been staying so focused on one mission and to be able to really go from sort of an early prototype and all the way to helping so many patients in such a short period of time has been an absolutely fantastic journey for the company. No, that's very true. I mean, that, that is a that is a short uh, a short distance traveled uh, in terms of years, but uh, many years, many many miles traveled in terms of accomplishment. That was an awkward phrasing, but how how was that made possible? Um, because you're right. Most usually, you'll see companies take five at least ten years before they have their their technology used on a patient. Yeah, I think there was, uh, and first of all, they start with a fantastic concept. The whole concept uh, around having a different uh, design philosophy with sort of individual arms, as we just spoke about earlier, with a clear, clear uh, mission and focus there. And that was really the, the, the ability. N- number two, that it, we have had a great uh, access to fantastic uh, people coming out of the university here in Cambridge uh, in the UK. And so the the availability of very, very competent uh, people. And thirdly, 
we have been having a very strong uh, support with uh, long-term investors who has been supporting uh, CMR Surgical all the way back since 2014. And basically all of them are still remaining as important and, uh, and uh, long-term supporters of the company. And what is the competitive landscape like? We're talking with uh, other companies that also are working in this space, including one that we may have in this podcast. Uh, but there's not, uh, I, there, from my understanding, there aren't a lot of other companies providing robotic solutions for keyhole minimally invasive approaches. No, there has basically been one uh, incumbent player who has been in the market for quite some years. And then uh, CMI Surgical has been now in the market for about 18, 20 months. And then, as you said, there are a few larger companies that have been working on their solution for a while that we expect to be entering the market over the next year or two or three. So I'd love to learn a little more about the, well, let, let me just continue following with the, comp- with the product. Where mm-hmm. are you with regulatory approval uh, in Europe and elsewhere and in the US? What are the plans? Today, we have an approval. So we have we have CMR for the European market and some other markets that are uh, allowing us to use the CMR. And we have then also regulatory approval in Australia. So today, we are active. We have systems uh, then uh, being used in Australia. We have them in India, Middle East, and across multi-countries in Europe. So that's where we currently are. We are, of course, working in uh, or working to uh, receive regulatory approvals in many other markets. Obviously, US, US being one of them, but we are looking at uh, um, South uh, America. We are looking at Japan. We are looking mm-hmm. at China. So we are, go- we are currently working on multi-new markets with the regulatory approvals. And, uh, and I'm based in the US, so I'll just focus on that. Do you have a time frame for when you'd be going to the FDA? We have been working with FDA for actually quite some time and have a very clear path and strategy for how we're going to get our regulatory approval there. But nothing to announce uh, at this point? No, not more than uh, no more at this point of time. That's right. All right. Well, let's uh, focus on your, your financing. You raised $600 million in a Series D. Uh, you brought in some, uh, the round was led by SoftBank. And Ally Bridge, Ally Bridge is known in MedTech, SoftBank is known in, in robotics. Uh, they've made a lot of investments there. Uh, what is this? I mean, other than the number of the, the, the size of this round, what is the significance of it? Uh, and, and what are your plans to, to do with the capital? Yeah, let me first say, we are, of course, exceptionally happy and pleased about the, the financing round. It is a very large round. To our knowledge, the largest sort of private race in the MedTech area. And so in that sense, of course, it gives us a lot of uh, security and horsepower when it comes to our next steps. And the next steps are definitely to further uh, accelerate our uh, global approach and, and market entrances. And the other part would be to continue to develop and enlarge our offering and to also spend more and more money and effort on the whole digital space within the surgery. So by that, do you mean creating uh, systems and monitors that would be used in, in addition to this to, 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 to transmit data, collect data and such? That's where you're headed? Yes, definitely. We are already having actually quite a strong offering. We are having telemetry data we are, and we are having a registry, a clinical registry so we are collecting a lot of data through our versus robotic system. And by then analyzing this data and then the ability to bring that back to the surgeons and hospitals to secure that they can actually improve basically patient outcome and patient performance. Do you anticipate uh, using that capital for any sort of acquisitions or consolidation of other technologies or, or companies? I think an acquisition, uh, we will not rule that out, but we will definitely also use uh, the, the, that extra financial power to accelerate our own internal uh, development. And we will look at partnership and we could also look at some acquisitions. But the most important thing for us is to secure that we are further expanding our offering, both in terms of the robotic system, the instruments, as well as in the digital area. 
And final question, just a basic question: Where is the where are you manufacturing the the your your robotic system? Where are you? All our manufacturing, up? all our manufacturing today is taking place here in Cambridge, UK. So we we have our factory here, and we are also very pleased that throughout a relatively difficult period that we have been through now with the COVID area, or the sorry, not the COVID area, but the COVID the COVID, the COVID time. Uh, we have really been able to keep our manufacturing up running all the time and have been able to deliver the systems as we plan to our customers. Excellent. And final, just bigger question. And I'll let you go. Uh, you've, you bring an interesting perspective, having been in the robotic space, as I mentioned at the top, coming into MedTech. I'm curious as to how you see this uh, playing out over the next five years. Do you see an emergence of many companies trying to create new new solutions or do you actually see more of a consolidation of robotics companies uh, in the next five years or so? I would probably believe that over the next five years period, there will probably not be a lot of consolidation because I think there are still relatively few players, but you could, of course, potentially foresee some kind of a consolidation coming on further down the road. But uh, I would also like to say that the market is so underpenetrated today. Uh, I mean, globally, there is about a three percentage point penetration of surgical robotics. So I think there is massive growth opportunities for multiple players. And we obviously expect CMR Surgical to be one of those companies that are going to take benefit and, 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 and be helping to drive a higher penetration around the globe. Excellent. Well, congratulations on your progress and on your financing. And I, I look forward to following your story. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. Thank you very much, Chris, for being here. All right. What is number three on the new Marcus Newsmakers list, Chris? You know, number three on the list, uh, we've got a uh, the the court of chancery in the state of Delaware uh, telling Hillrom, "Hey, you got to complete your uh, your planned three hundred seventy five million dollar acquisition of uh, Barty DX and uh, and their." Uh, cam patch and uh so i mean hillrom was you know trying to get out of the deal um they they started to uh you know their their officials started to express worries about the deal after uh you know a uh, top regional uh you know medicare uh, administrative contractor novitas solutions had published significant rate cuts for you know this external ekg monitoring that barty dx is 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 in but uh the quarter chancery said that was not enough to get out of the deal that's fascinating uh, yeah, I, this is one of those things that just makes medtech so hard sometimes. I mean, you have these deals where the deals is uh, acquisition is agreed upon, and then suddenly the rules change. It doesn't happen that frequently, but it can happen. Well, you know, there was some tussling a few uh, a few years ago when uh, Abbott was uh, planning to acquire uh, Lear. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, the, right. I mean, and that deal eventually went went through, but it wasn't. Uh, there there were some some bumpy times legally with uh, with that as well. So I mean, yeah, you do see sometimes like you know, a company that's acquiring decides, um, you know, like maybe we shut it, you know, and then that, you know, that can end up in the courts. That's fascinating. And I've never, yeah. I, I don't recall a court giving this sort of order to complete a deal. But again, I may be forgetting something. Is there, a, do you know if there's an avenue for appeal? No, actually, absolutely, Tom. I mean, Hill Rums says it's going to be appealing the, the ruling to the Supreme Court of Delaware. So this is, uh, you know, this is, this is heading up. It's, it's going to appeal. But uh, yeah, it's the court of chancery in, in the state, though, like uh, rule against this. You know, and it's such a it's 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 interesting too because it's such a it's been such a hot space in medtech. I mean, you got a number of companies that really think they could do that they have technology they could do better than this traditional holder monitor that they send you home with. You know, if you know they're they're suspecting that you have um, you know heart arrhythmias. Um, I mean, you got iRhythm, a live core, you got Barry DX. You know this uh, this regional Medicare administrative administrator uh, decision like definitely you know set them back. They're trying to get that turned around. Um, you know, I mean, I it'll be uh, yeah. We'll, we'll see how it goes. I mean, I definitely the court didn't think that was enough for for Hillrom to pull out the deal. That's a pretty big pretty big reason to uh, to not do the deal. It's we'll see what happens with the, with the appeal. But let uh, let's move on to uh, to number two. Speaking of number spack attacks, spack attack, spack attack, 
That's right. SPAC attack. These deals just keep on happening. So we've got a uh, heart flow is going to be going public in a, in a more than $2 billion uh, SPAC merger with uh, Longview acquisition corp. Uh, you might, uh, you might remember Longview before from uh, they, they took, they also took the uh, butterfly uh, network. Public, I do. Uh, I remember this year. We talked a lot about butterfly. Yeah. So now we got heart flow, you know, heart flow, um, Really interesting technology. I mean, they developed uh, software that uh, creates, uh, you know, a, a 3D image of the heart and surrounding vasculature based on, you know, the imaging. And, you know, they're, uh, you know, they're really touting this as, as a way, the, the, the cardiac test that can be done around the imaging that their software you know, creates their, you know, telling this as a way to like really uh, reduce catheterization procedures that it can really help, you know, physicians, uh, you know, cardiologists, uh, you know, better, uh, you know, determine, you know, risk around, you know, you know, people who, uh, you know, have um, cardiovascular problems. So, you know, really like really boost cardiac evaluation. So there, there's a compelling story behind this technology. And, uh, you know, it looks like the uh, people over Longview decided like this was uh, something that uh, could, you know, excite investors. And so they're, they're taking this public. That's fantastic. Now there's a yeah. lot of interest in this space. And we talked about Clearly Health over the last two podcasts. So uh, uh, as a person getting older, I'm, I'm encouraged by uh, <laughs> all these abilities to to, to monitor our cardiac health going forward. It's just, just in time. So. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> I mean. All right. Let us uh, move on to number one. I love number one. I love our med tech people, Chris, because we have all these great big stories about courts and big financings and FDA right. approvals and SPAC attacks. What- so what do you think the most read story on mass device was this week? Tell me. It was, it was, it was a it was a shoulder system, Yahoo! you know, a shoulder system. But you know that that just shows like just how important technology is to our to our readers. Yeah. And you know the fact that this is like stri- strikers like you know new humeral system, you know their their perform humeral system part of its newly introduced tournier you know shoulder arthroplasty uh, portfolio. Um, you know just uh, just this you know big new product for uh, striker that's uh, getting launched. Um, you know, a lot of features in here that could allow for better personalization when it comes to, uh, you know, like uh, shoulder procedures. So, uh, so yeah, that's, that's the big news on, you know, on mass device this week. That's, uh, it, uh, it, it, it beat out, uh, heart flow and page views by a nose. All right. Well, good, good for you, MedTech folks for, for keeping it real and for, uh, focusing, keeping it real, real focusing on the tech. Well, Adam Sachs, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me, Tom. It's uh, it's been a crazy time. We we joked before I pushed record that we were trying to remember when we spoke last, and it seemed like three months ago. It was actually last August, and I encourage everyone to go back to uh, our August device talks to get the uh, sort of phase one of the vicarious story. Uh, but a lot has happened uh, since August. Uh, at the time, I thought you were sort of just this rising robotics upstart, and then I see the SPAC deal, and now you've got headquarters and and a full executive team. It's just, uh, you're, you're, you're traveling at warp speed right now. Did you anticipate all of this happening? And we'll go over each item individually, but uh, what's this year like been for you? Uh, well, and first of all, uh, it's, it's really incredible that it's been, it's been almost a full year since we last talked. I, uh, it's been, it's been an amazing year uh, for us. Uh, <laughs> uh, as you rightly pointed out, did, did I anticipate this thing? So the question, I that was mean, the question. Yeah. Yeah. Anticipate is, I'd say, not the word I'd use, right? It's you always build for this to happen, right? None of it, none of it happens by accident. It happens because we, we all built it, but you know, this is, this is of course, you know, what, what we'd all been, been hoping for and building towards. So I feel incredibly privileged to be where we are now and be able to take our company public for, uh, bring in uh, almost uh, half a billion dollars of proceeds so that we can fund our journey all the way through clearance and commercialization. Well, I do encourage folks to go back and listen to our August podcast, but uh, I know many folks are on a treadmill or out walking their dog, and it's hard to find those old episodes when you're on your phone. So uh, let's do them the, uh, let's help them out by telling them a bit about the vicarious surgical approach. Your your robotic surgery company, obviously, we talked in the last podcast about the the legacy uh, systems that are in place, intuitive and how is vicarious different than those? So it really comes down to our robotic actuators with, you know, legacy multi-incision surgical robots. They have uh, so- something called coupled motion 
in the actuators. So that, that coupled motion essentially means that each of the joints, when you move them, moves the other joints as well. And you need mm-hmm. to correct that in software. Most of what we spent the, the last seven years inventing and developing into a product is, is these decoupled actuators that allows us to architect a different system where we no longer have uh, this exponential buildup of force. So that lets us go from just a wrist inside the abdomen with legacy systems to nine degrees of freedom inside the abdomen with our robot. We fully mimic wrists, elbows, and shoulders of the surgeon and do all of that through a single 15 millimeter incision, a normal laparoscopic incision. Wow. That's outstanding. So we talk, when we talked, uh, give us an up, you were preclinical at the time. I believe you're, you're, well, you are still preclinical as far as I know, but what is your, give us an update on the, the, the state of your robot on a regulatory fashion and a development fashion. And we'll, we'll talk about the, the advances that the company has made next. Yeah. So, so I, you know, the way I like to think about it is we're about seven years into a nine year journey to market here. Uh, we, we are a bit over uh, two years away from the regulatory filing from, you know, we're, we're still doing kind of our final beta or sorry, our, our initial beta units, finalizing that design, all of the features. The, the way I really like to, to phrase that is it, it's more like, uh, you know, the product looks and feels like, like our product will when we launch, but it has a lot of rough edges that really matter a lot in surgery, right? Surgeons are rightly the most demanding customers in the world. And they, they demand perfection from their instruments. So we're, we're taking the next year to do that. And then the year after will be uh, about, you know, VNV getting the appropriate data uh, as required by the FDA and uh, pro- proving out that our device is safe and effective. And we'll be submitting the filing in late 2023. So let's talk about your SPAC. Uh, how did that come to play was this we've seen a stream a stream of them you're not the only one that's been able to to use that vehicle to go public uh it's it's taken some some very interesting companies again some were i thought earlier stage uh but some that that had products on the market i'd love to understand how that how that came together i imagine they approached you uh imagine uh, i would love to know what what was the process after they approached you and how do you just how did you decide that this was the the right move for your company at this time yeah, so so SPACs have a really interesting place in the world where they, you know, really bring a, a SPAC sponsor who has cash in, in trust that is the SPAC, but also, uh, also, you know, experience from that SPAC sponsor. And they can actually take that experience, bring it to your company and use it to not, not only support you once post-merger, but help diligence when they're on the buy side pre-merger. So it's enabled companies like ours that we really feel is kind of the perfect example of a, a spackable company mm-hmm. is a company that spent you know seven years developing the technology would probably be going public via conventional IPO in a year from now hmm. has good use for you know a, a very large amount of capital uh, and actually needs that capital to to develop has all the upside that warrants the the investment. Uh, and it allows, you know, that uh, SPAC sponsor, D8 in our case, to come in, use their robotics expertise, their network. They sent surgeon after surgeon to come visit uh, our facility and talk with us and do diligence and sent uh, uh, an expert that, you know, led one of our competitors' commercial efforts to come mm-hmm. try our system. And they, they can then stand on all that diligence to the rest of the market, and the rest of the community. But you, you would raise money from uh, uh, from. Uh... Great names: Bill Gates, Jerry Yang, Vinod Kosla. You you had funding. You could have gone. I think raised a lot more on the on the private side. Uh, what was it that made you uh, decide that the public markets is where you wanted to go? Was this an investor decision? Was this a, a company decision uh, to uh, to go public through the SPAC? Yeah, it was. Uh, you know, uh, very much a company decision. But our mm-hmm. investors were incredibly supportive of it. Uh, at the end of the day, you know, it's, it's not just about the capital. It's also about the visibility, you know, having these conversations, being able to communicate to the world, what we're doing and attract, we've already had incredible inbound interest from hospital surgeons that want to partner with us to help us build our technology. We'll be hiring a few hundred people at our Waltham office over the next two years. And it's been awesome in, you know, inbound interest. Uh, uh, we've hired 
a few dozen and and I believe the last two months alone. Uh, so it's uh, you know th- there are there are huge advantages to being a public company beyond the you know the capital uh, that comes with it. Oh, it it was interesting to me that you said you you would be filing for regulatory approval probably or. or- in two years, but your timeline, financial timeline, had you perhaps going public through conventional means within two years. I've been covering this industry for a while, and I still have in my head that you know you need to have revenue, you need to have 100 million in revenue to even start talking about an IPO. Were you having conversations with investment banks at, as a possible IPO target in, in a year or two? Uh, had you thought that far ahead on, on the public market part of things? So you know, it's a early conversation. Yeah, but for sure. It, it, I'd say it, it was sort of the plan of record. Uh-huh. Uh, I I totally agree that the convention in the med tech industry has always been to go public when you're a commercial stage company, but it's pretty unique to our industry, right? Pharma and biotech go significantly before approval. Yep. Tech companies go significantly before approval. So we, we actually did a deep dive in to try to understand the reasons for that. And, you know, I think that there's really two reasons that are closely tied together. First is uh, med tech companies do not typically need a few hundred million dollars uh, in order to get commercial. Most med tech devices take 30 million dollars and are aiming for a 300 million dollar exit. Uh, are not trying to grow into a hundred billion dollar company. And uh, I I think that... uh, you know, that, that, that really is the biggest piece of the reason. But the second piece of the reason is the valuation. And that, you know, if you took one of those conventional med tech companies that has a potential $300 million exit opportunity public before they were commercial, it'd be a super micro cap company. It wouldn't be able to get the coverage, wouldn't be able to get the interest and have these conversations. Uh, and it, it's, you know, a tough spot to be in. Whereas we, we have the privilege of, you know, needing the capital, but then having the, the rewards at, at the end uh, that justify all of it. Interesting. And, and going back to the uh, the SPAC process, I kind of took you off track there, but it really sounds like it was more of a, uh, a due diligence associated. It was almost more of a venture due diligence where they really kicked the tires, took them off, put them back on, kicked them again. Uh, were really thorough in, in, in bringing in people to evaluate your technology. And, and Principle, uh, when you do go public with an IPO, you usually put your executive team in place beforehand. You're building your team out now, which I think is great. And we'll go over that in a minute. But was it, did it, did it feel very much like a, a venture sort of uh, deal or did it, did it feel different than, than that? The diligence that they did was, uh, I'd say, the deepest diligence out of any round that, that's happened by far. Uh, so it, it was, I'd say like a venture deal and then some, uh, and that's, you know, that's part of it. You know, this, the sponsor and a SPAC has to actually put up some of their own capital as part of the deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's, you know, they, they really, and, and on top of that, they, they care about their reputations. They brought in some really reputable surgeons and physicians, uh, David Ho, uh, and, you know, very prominent, uh, uh, physician is also on their board of directors. So, it's been, uh, you know, they, they really do and care about making the right choice in the company that they're they're partnering with and merging with. So uh, the, the diligence process was incredibly deep. Uh, the, the other beauty of it is unlike the regular SPAC, pro- sorry, uh, IPO process, there's, there's kind of not this issue of uh, material non-public information with the SPAC sponsor. They're, they're over the wall and they stay over the wall. Mm-hmm. So they can do all this diligence that other investors in a conventional process would not be able to do. Interesting. I hadn't thought about that. So let us talk about your executive team. You've hired a new CFO, uh, a new counsel. Uh, tell us uh, a bit about them. And uh, are you still building that, that, uh, that C-level team out? Uh, I think we're, we, you know, we, we have an amazing team today. Uh, we're, we're, we're a growing company. We're always building out our team. I, you know, I, I tend to like to tell people internally, right? If you've ever feel like you've built out everything you need, then you're probably stagnant, right? You're probably not growing. You should be continuing to build always. That being said, you know, I, I, I love our team internally. They're, they're amazing. Bill Kelly is our CFO, June Morris is our GC and chief legal officer. Both of them come out of, you know, amazing previous public companies, 
in the medical devices space uh, have have you know deep experience in frankly these exact roles, mm-hmm. which is really helpful as we go through the complex regulatory environment, financial environment, deal with investors and analysts and and all of that. Uh, and then the rest of our executive team, we we have some you know amazing people who are really split between hardcore robotics experience and expertise in medical devices. Mm-hmm. What about yourself? Uh, you're now the CEO of a, a publicly held company. You're, you've got a massive headquarters. You're going to cu- hire a couple hundred people. You, when I talked to you last, you, you felt, you, uh, I, I guess I assigned you more the, the role of you know, technology uh, expert, startup CEO. But when you get into the operational, the building of things, that's when you sort of bring someone in who has, quote unquote, done it before. Now, granted, this is a newish company. I don't know if it's been done before. Uh, but how do you sort of morph from startup CEO to operational CEO, or, or do you do you see it that way at all? Uh, you know, I, I'd like to think of myself still as a startup CEO and always <laughs> a startup CEO because, again, I think it is it is about that growth mentality, right? You, you kind of as soon as you're a purely operational CEO. Like, it's probably time to step aside and let someone else run the company who's ready to drive growth again. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I very much believe that that's a key part of the mindset that you know enables our company to be on this incredible trajectory that we've been on. Uh, that, that being said, uh, you know I, I of course respect and appreciate the experience that others bring, and that's that's why we've hired an incredible executive team. We also brought on an incredible executive chairman to our board, and are further built have built out our, our board of directors. Mm-hmm. Um, our, our exec chairman David Steika ran, uh, you know, for a long time ran the entire kind of operational side of um, of Oris Health all the way. Uh, you know, until they were acquired by JHA for six billion. So, That's great. Uh, and and he nominally is supposed to be spending about a day a week at our company, but I, uh, it's been <laughs> far more than that, <laughs> uh, uh, especially over the last six months. So, you know, having I, I guess I'm really just trying to say, uh, as much as I think that a growth mindset is 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 awesome and key, I think surrounding yourself by amazing individuals who have done it before is is also incredibly important. That's great. I'm sure the startup CEOs listening to this will will appreciate that insight. Let's let's talk about the the headquarters. If I if I googled correctly, uh, I believe you've moved into Boston Dynamics old headquarters. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> I like to think of it as our new headquarters. But uh, <laughs> that's a better way to look at it. Old headquarters, but Good point. Uh, you know, yes is the answer. They did okay though. Uh, so so <laughs> I mean. Yeah, no, you're 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 kind of at uh, the epicenter of robotics. So, what is uh, what will what does it look like now? Do you still have? Did they leave anything behind for you? An old sofa, perhaps, or uh, or is it an empty space? And and you're in the process of sort of starting from scratch. What does the facility look like now? Uh, they left out a facility that was built out very well for okay. robotics. Uh, <laughs> they, you know, they they were perfectly happy to not do additional construction to you know, turn it back into normal office space. So uh, I, you know, we've, we've been pretty lucky in that respect. Uh, this facility will hold uh, uh, a few hundred people and, you know, we are likely to continue to grow in the area. Uh, that, that all, all being said, you know, we also did a, a very significant build out to build out an operating room and laboratory space specifically for the medical side of what we're doing. And we're in the process of building out a clean room for manufacturing on site as well. So uh, it's, you know, they, they left, I'd say, a great setup and a great shell that we've, of course, in order to be a medical robotics company, had to significantly build out. Our, our operating room is incredible. Yeah. That's great. No, no, no atlases or spots roaming around though. They took those, took them all with them, right? Yeah. I wish they would have left one or two. <laughs> what is, uh, so what is their next step for, for you now? We talked about the regulatory uh, approval in a couple of years from now. Uh, how do you get to that point? And where are you on the financial side of things? I, I imagine you're set for a while. Uh, what is what is uh, what does that side of the business look like for you? Yeah, so so uh, once we close the transaction, assuming no redemptions, it'll be a, a ballpark of uh, about four hundred and thirty million dollars on our balance sheet after expenses uh, from the transaction. Uh, that you know that, that sets us up uh, incredibly well, not just to do the final development, but also uh, the the initial commercialization. I'd say you know I. Uh, 
by by our financial model actually gets us all the way to cash flow positive although i really like to emphasize to people that you know that that's not not always the goal sometimes taking additional capital mm-hmm. in order to to go faster and and really hit the gas a few years from now is sometimes the the right answer uh so but but with that caveat uh, uh you know we we are are very well set up to be able to execute um yeah Awesome. That's great. Well, when we concluded our last podcast, you invited me down for uh, to visit the headquarters once we we're able to get out and about. So I, I'm going to hold that to you in your new you, headquarters as well. Uh, please do. I hold you to, uh, hold you to that. I should. I'll hold you to that. Sorry, I don't know why. I, my words I would not that. recommend also visiting the old headquarters uh, <laughs> if, unless you uh, want, you know, an empty shell that's available for lease. But. Um, I, I, I'm all set in that regard, but but I hope we can come down and uh, and take a look around once you're once you're all moved in. We. Uh, come on by. We'd love to have you. Excellent. Adam, thanks so much for the time and, and, and thanks for joining us on the podcast. It's always a pleasure, Tom. All right. Well, this brings us to the end of another Device Talks weekly podcast. Chris Newmarker, you know what that means. It's social media. You, you, know, you can find me on LinkedIn, Chris Newmarker, just like a new marker. Um, I'm also on Twitter at Newmarker. You know, always, always happy to chat, always to, uh, happy to, you know, find out, you know, like new things going on in the space. You're not on, on Twitter at, at Sloopy MedTech. Uh, no, you're, you're. No, no. you know, maybe, <laughs> you know, if we, if we end up heading into a Rose Bowl or a national championship, <laughs> maybe, maybe I'll throw in a little Ohio State logo. That'll be, that'll be fun. <laughs> I am on Twitter at MedTechTom. I am on LinkedIn, Tom Salemi. And uh, please use all of those tags when you share this podcast. And please do share this podcast episode on those social media channels. Chris and I would truly and honestly want to be part of those conversations. We love it when uh, when folks talk MedTech. We'd love to be part of that. And uh, please do subscribe to this podcast. You can find it on every major podcast channel, Amazon, Spotify, Google, Apple, we're out there. You can also find our Medtronic Talks podcast on those channels as well. Subscribe to both and you will be respectfully flooded with, with great MedTech insights. You will be the, the smartest MedTech person on your block, you'll be able to talk about great MedTech stuff at every barbecue. So uh, please. That's right. Impress people at dinner parties, exactly. you know, yep. neighborhood gatherings will be great. You know, I'm sure, I'm sure your neighbors will love to hear you talk about <laughs> medical devices. Who wouldn't? All right. Well, that is a wrap. Thanks for joining us on this episode of the Device Talks Weekly Podcast. Hey, stay safe. Get vaccinated if you haven't already. For crying out for loud. For crying out loud. <laughs>